take a moment. I am one of your hosts, Nathan Bennett. And I'm your other host, Mari Yamaguchi. I want to know how you're doing right now, Mari. How are you feeling? I am feeling pumped. I'm feeling very zen. Very zen. I like that. <laughs> I'm actually feeling really, really good myself right now. And it's because we just had this amazing conversation with our last guest, Tom LaCroix. Yes. He is the VP of Customer Care and Admissions at Full Sail University. And for those of you who don't know about Full Sail, they're just... They just happen to be this really awesome tiny little school, maybe, maybe about 40 plus year history of having Oscar and Grammy award winners coming out of them. They're a university that specializes in the entertainment industry. So whatever you can think of from media, arts, technology to gaming, um, some of those folks uh, worked on awesome shows like Game of, Game Thrones. of Thrones, Marvel movies. Uh, they worked with artists like Cardi B, Jay-Z, Beyonce. It's amazing what they're doing there at Full Sail. Yes. And why we're saying we're feeling zen and really excited is because one of the topics we really touched on was emotional intelligence. Mm. Tom has uh, is actually leads a class for some of the Full Sail university staff about emotional intelligence and how important it is for leaders to really, really be in tune with their emotions. And we don't mean, you know, they're, they're free to cry anytime right. they want. Not they the feel warm, fuzzies, right? <laughs> right, exactly. But really what it is to understand yourself and understand how you think and how you can communicate and lead to other people through your example. Tom loves to say leadership is responsible for the temperature of the team and great leaders make people feel better. Right. And not only for their employees, because they are a university, they have students. So they are stewards of these students who, like you and I, I mean, when we were going to college, we were probably like scared. This is the first time we're away from terrified. home and you terrified. Know, terrified, right? So they have to be able to create that environment where the kids feel safe, where the students feel safe to not only succeed, but also be okay to fail and that they're there to help them get to and achieve whatever their goals are. Absolutely. It was a fantastic conversation. And I have a lot of notes that I've taken that I'm actually going to go back and read because a lot of it was so inspiring. We learn a lot from our guests. And Tom was definitely somebody who was very uh, mentor-like almost. I got a sense that I was kind of like just learning from a very wise and very young Gandalf. You know, I don't want to say... <laughs> it was a master class. Right? It was a master class in uh, emotional intelligence and what goes into making not only uh, very their contact center. I don't really think about a contact center when I think of uh, universities and admissions, but goes into their plan on how they keep their contact center employees motivated and empathetic uh, by giving them a clear career path that leads outside of that contact center. So their turnover rate is super low. Um, and staying at full sale, right? Like, and say, exactly. Uh, they actually turn over, you know, in, I think you said a year, 90% um, of their contact center employees, but it's to other positions within full sale. They treat their contact center as kind of like, hey, this is kind of the proving ground. This is going to prepare you for other things that we have for you. And what an amazing philosophy that is to have inside of a contact center. Right. It was an intentional and thoughtful conversation. And we hope you take a moment with us. Ladies and gentlemen, our wonderful uh, listeners at home, in your car, in your office, wherever you do your podcast listening, that was Tom LaCroix, LaCroix uh, Vice President at Full Sail University, um, and you're VP of Admissions. Is that right, Tom? 
That is correct. So and tell us a little bit uh, more about Full Sail, uh, the school. I know a lot about it. I'm sure our listeners may or may not, but tell us about that and then tell us a little bit more about what your day-to-day uh, looks like. So we are um, a 40-year-old university located here in Winter Park, Florida, just north of Orlando. Our entire focus, every degree program that we have, focuses on the arts, media, film, music, and technology. And they all kind of work together. So we'll, we'll be teaching kids about computer animation or game art. And then we have other students that are learning how to do uh, programming and coding for games. We have other people who are interested in recording arts or music production. We have other students that are interested in making films. And so what ends up happening is we're very uh, portfolio or project-based. And so as these students are working on their portfolio, if let's say I'm making a game, you know, and I'm an artist and I can draw, what I do is I, I collaborate with some other classmates of mine who are studying coding and they start writing you know, code for the game. And then another friend of mine, hypothetically, is in music production. And my, my game needs music undertones or it needs um, sound effects. And so the groups kind of work together so that when they graduate, all of them have a, a project that they can show potential employers. So it's not just here are the classes I took. It's really, here's an example of my work. And You're able so, to create a resume reel, huh? Absolutely. The demo reel is exactly what, um, depending on the degree program, a lot of people are leaving with. Mm-hmm. And um, we have a lot of very famous graduates. We have 17,000 students right now. We have about 70,000 graduates that are out working in the industries that they um, wanted to serve. And um, these guys all come back and really help mentor the students. And most of them show off their hardware that they've won or donated to the school. So we have cases of Grammys and Oscars and Emmys and all sorts of fun stuff. So it's kind of a cool place. It kind of brings me back to listening to my father's experience um, at Juilliard where a lot of those um, graduates came back and did master classes. So I almost feel like that's kind of what the students at Full Sail are able to get with some of their of your alumni is getting that master class from those folks that are now in the in the field, right? And being yeah. able to learn exactly. more. That's exactly correct. That's, there's the the instructors here have to have four years of industry experience anyway, so they get that. But it's really about networking. A lot of these industries, particularly film and music. Um, it's about who you know and getting a chance and getting a start. And so, one, they love to come back and mentor the students and have sessions with the students and answer questions and talk about what it was like to get going and, you know, how they got their break and what is the working life like and all sorts of, how do you deal with failure? There's a lot of wonderful uh, stories that are shared. And then um, at the same time, in order to... um, get into the hall of fame a lot of these guys that i mentioned are in our hall of fame every year we induct six people into our hall of fame and um besides having you know a very very strong career to be in the hall of fame you have to have been out of school for 10 years and given back to our students in some way and a lot of them are very quick to say here's my contact information call me when you graduate or you know i'll introduce you to some people and 
it's really a wonderful experience that you find here. And you know, what's interesting about this place, and I've worked, I've only been here for eight years. I've worked in other industries. What's very interesting about our customer service experience, when you have people that want to come here, it, this is not a school you come to to figure out what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Everyone that's here, our entire student body really, our programs are very fast paced. So you can get a bachelor's degree in 20 months. Wow. So you'll do two classes at a time and you'll get your 120 credits done in 20 months. No summer break. You know, we get a week off It's in the spring. You get a couple of weeks off in the winter. But other than that, you're going to school for 20 straight months. It's not a school where you come to and say, a year from now, I'm going to decide what my major is because a year from now, you'll be eight months away from graduating. Right. You know what I mean? And so that makes it a very interesting um, experience for the students because one, they want to be here. So that makes it, you know, a little bit easier Two, when we're answering calls from people, um, they have a tendency, though, to be very, very passionate about what they want. Right. So that creates some challenges. But on the positive side, when we are talking to people and helping them navigate their way through the financial aid process and navigate their way through their classes, we know that at the end of the day, we are changing people's lives. We're helping people achieve what they truly want to achieve, as opposed to selling widgets or, you know, helping people with their cable, you know, when we're on the phone with someone and help them get to where they want to be and finally graduate, it's, there's something very rewarding about that. You're actually investing in somebody's life in their future. So it's not yeah. just about, uh, you know, in that some call centers, it's about, time. right, correct. Yeah. It's right. not, a, it's not transactional at all. So as the vice president of admissions, I'm responsible for the admissions groups, which help people apply and figure out you know, what degree is best for them. And, you know, I work a little bit with financial aid to talk about, you know, help people try to pay for the degree. But I'm also responsible for the call center because we get a lot of calls coming into the university, either from people who are interested in coming here and want to find out more about it, or students who are here or graduates from the school that are calling back. And we get 60,000 calls a month or so, uh, from people who are interested in talking to us about something. So how do you train your folks who are answering those calls? Because you have so many different, for lack of a better word, personas of people calling in with different needs. How do you train them? Or are they specialized for just, you know, incoming calls that are non-students or how does that work? Um, We have about a hundred people that are answering the phone and the model that we're in right now the people that are answering the phone are doing triage to figure out exactly who the person is and what questions they have or what needs to be resolved. And then what they're doing is they are forwarding it over to the person who's responsible or has knowledge of an experience in financial aid or changing of enrollment or applying to the school or, figuring out how to audit classes once they've graduated or career development help, which we offer. And so that's what that group does. And what are the qualities that you look for, for folks that are in your call center? You know, the other interesting thing about this working here, and and I've worked in customer service centers, call centers for 
since the 80s, really, my whole life. This is all I've ever done. And I hate to say it. Yeah, Ronald Reagan was president when I started in this. <laughs> but, um, phones were a brand new technology. Phones, correct. Well, it's funny that <laughs> that, but it was all phone. It wasn't text. It right. wasn't chat. It wasn't web. Mm -hmm. It wasn't any of that. It was just the phone. A phone was just a phone. A phone was a phone. And so the other companies that I worked with, we were looking for people a little bit differently. Here at Full Sail, we use the call center, since it's part of a relatively large university, we use the call center as really the training ground for the next job. So when we're hiring people for the call center, we tell them straight out, we are not hiring you for this role. You're going to be in this role for a year. And at the end of the year, what's going to happen is we want you to figure out if you are interested in working in accounting or working in financial aid or just managing documents and not talking to people or working in a lab with students or working in admissions or whatever. We want you to figure out what the next job is. That's what the first year is about besides answering the phone. And it's one of the reasons our turnover is so dramatically low as far as people leaving the company. The turnover is actually high. We will turn over 100% of people in 18 months, but 90% of them are going to be working in the university somewhere, right? which makes it a lot easier. It's actually much easier to hire customer service people here for that reason. My gosh, of course, because there's a path. an end in sight, but there is yeah. a path. Yeah, career path. Exactly right. correct. And we want people to figure that out in their first year. And they can do that by, one, interacting with all these other departments as they're transferring or asking questions or meeting people as we do. Or we ask them very specifically to just go and shadow. And every department is very interested in having people just come and say, hang out for an hour or two, three or four times and figure out if this is what you want to do, mm -hmm. which makes it it's the best job interview you could possibly have because you know exactly what you're, you're going into. So yes. we wanted to kind of pick your brain to see what's changed, but then again, what still has stayed the same? That is a great question. You know, what has changed is we have so many different ways now to interact with people, right? People are live chatting with us, certainly. We are using text more. We, you know, you can... Um, you can reach people in so many different ways. I, um, you know, I'm an old, old school guy and I, there's a lot of misinterpretation that can happen in a chat or a text that you can alleviate with, with a phone call and phone. And so I'm a big believer on answering real quick, easy transactional stuff using electronic communication, whether, you know, email, text, chat. But a lot of times it's helpful just to say, hey, let me give you a quick call or give us a quick call because it's very, very difficult to change how someone feels emotionally in a chat or a text or an email. And it's also very subject to misinterpretation, both informationally and emotionally you can be misinterpreted. And so that has changed. It's a little bit quicker and easier to get a hold of somebody for the transaction, but it's much harder to get people to come back to you because of all of this electronic communication. It's much harder to be empathetic and listen to people and relate and have conversation and help people through an explanation and or apology if necessary. It becomes much harder to do that when people are communicating with you electronically. We've talked a lot about that job of the call center agent and how 
difficult it can really be and um, the qualities of somebody that is actually really, really good at doing that. And one of the things that always comes up in those conversations is empathy. Yes. But the thing about empathy is, I mean, in my view, and, and you know, you can tell me if you disagree with this, empathy is a very difficult thing to teach uh, right. to a, a human being. It's one of those things where you either have it or you don't, or you know how to access it or you don't. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about your philosophy behind empathy and how important that might be to somebody, not just as a human being, of course, but somebody in that specific role in the call center? Well, it's interesting that you say that because besides my role here, I am passionate about emotional intelligence. I'm passionate about the idea of teaching emotional intelligence. So I do that here as a continuing education. I'm part of new employee orientation here, and I spend 90 minutes going over, you know, what is emotional intelligence? What is empathy? Because a lot of times people will talk about these things and they'll say, oh, you need to have empathy. And most people can't even conceptualize exactly what that means. And so for, for me, as, as I describe empathy, I say, listen, here's what, here's what empathy is. It's not, I feel bad for you, right? That's sympathy, right? If someone's very frustrated or very sad or very angry and you say, oh, I feel bad for you. Not only, do, not only am I angry, now I'm pitied by you, right? <laughs> empathy is really, when you're very angry and very frustrated, that's a very lonely feeling. You're like, I, woe is me, I'm, I feel very alone. And so when people are angry and frustrated, what they want to do is they want to feel less alone. Most times when people are angry and frustrated and they want to feel less alone, they bring someone into their anger, right? In a work situation, they're at the water cooler trying to get other people riled up and frustrated and angry. That way I'm still angry and frustrated, but at least I'm not alone. Right. Misery loves company. <laughs> Misery loves company. Exactly correct. As a, as a you know, customer service agent, what you're really trying to do is turn anger and frustration into satisfaction and happiness. You're also, the first step though, is letting the person know you are not alone. I am heard. Yeah. I hear you. I'm with you. I understand. We can fix this. You, and you're saying without saying, or maybe you're saying you are not alone, Mm -hmm. right? We've got this, or we see this, you know, quite often, and we know exactly what to do. And the minute you hear that in a, in a phone call, you can hear the deflation a lot of times. You can hear the, the frustration level drop immediately when someone says, I can help you. We, we got this. Don't worry, right? I'm with you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that to yeah. me, you know, the, people always say, what is customer service? I'll say, listen, it's very simple. You know, I'm French, we're, we're simple people. We're not very smart, um, <laughs> but I'll say, you know, customer, what, what is great customer service? How quickly can I tell someone my problem? How quickly can it, I get some sort of resolution? And how do I feel at the end of the call, which is everything, right? I like my folks to focus on how are you making people feel, period. That really is the job. And, you know, it's funny how much large companies and corporations spend on advertising and branding, trying to create uh, a real iconic brand. They put all this money into their marketing and their design. And really the thing that oftentimes we remember about a company is not their logo. It's not the, the their, even what their website might look like. It's the interactions that we have. A thousand. And if we would, if we yeah. would invest 
uh, more marketing dollars maybe into the training of the people to be emotionally intelligent. Yep. My gosh, what could that do for your brand? I, I could not agree more. And it, when you think of, of brands that are with you, you know, every, when you, if you really pay attention to any beer ad and you look, what do you see? Groups of people. I'm not alone, right? I'm popular. I'm smiling. I'm out having a good time. That's mm-hmm. my brand. You know, drink my beer and you will be popular and happy and less alone, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. When you, when you counter that with, if I have a problem with a company and you call and you don't leave feeling important, less alone and happy, you've taken your brand and thrown it away. You know, a lot of times what happens too, especially in a call center, uh, but certainly is applicable to almost any other service industry is that sometimes the agents or the employees have not been empowered by their supervisor or manager or whatever to make those decisions in the moment for the betterment of the customer. They've got to stick to their script or they got to, you know, do whatever it is that they, a lot of that involves with saying, no, this is what I can't do. I can't do this. So then th- that program programs us, the customer to go, let me just speak to your supervisor, your manager. When you feel like the person you're speaking to is your advocate at the company, your ally, that's when good customer service happens. Mm-hmm. When you think of them as the barrier, that, that's when things can go horribly wrong. Absolutely. Uh, in, at Genesis, we talk a lot about um, story and story structure and narrative. And one of the things we've been talking about here recently is uh, if you are a call center agent, to realize that you are involved in the customer's story. Their story has begun before they even talk to you. So they're coming to you with a problem, a villain, an obstacle. Mm -hmm. And you should think of them as your hero or as the hero in this narrative. And you should position yourself and think about yourself as their guide. The one that has been there, done that, been through the experience and has the right tools and the right experience to help them slay that dragon, defeat Darth Vader, get to the promised land. And if you're not thinking about that, then sometimes that employee or that agent can then assume the role of the villain uh, unwittingly sometimes if you're not careful. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, one of the issues that you find is I started on the phone as a customer service agent, so I get it. It's exhausting. It takes a lot of emotional energy to say, I am going to rescue you from your frustration. I'm going to rescue you from your confusion. I'm going to rescue you from your sadness or anger or whatever it is. It takes a lot of energy to do that. That's why at the end of the day, when I was a customer service agent and I realized with my people now, at the end of the day, it's exhausting. It's very, very difficult to do that. Uh, over a long, long period of time. That's why the burnout rate and the attrition rate in that job is so, so high. Right. Because it's not people calling and giving you validation. It's not people calling you and giving you praise. It's not people calling you and giving you the attaboys or making you feel proud or happy or energized or eager. It's the opposite of that all day long, right? Uh, Most of the time. It's neutral at best. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I don't call my, my uh, internet service provider every week and tell them how happy I am with their service. No, just, exactly. just so you guys know, I'm loving my internet right now. Exactly. Loving the speed. Right. Loving yeah. the speeds. Right. Yeah. Thank, Couldn't thank ask you. for more. Thank you so much for your yeah, wonderful service. Right. Exactly. That's not something yeah. that they hear often. But, um, but that's the job of the leader in customer service. That's right. the manager's job to go, I get it. 
you're getting from the, from the phone, what you're getting is a lot of negative emotion. You're getting a lot of frustration, a lot of sadness, and you're doing a wonderful, wonderful job taking that and turning it into something else, right? right. And so that's why that the positive reinforcement, the game playing, the gamifying of the, the call center, the ability to give good, wonderful feedback about what's going right with people is so, so important in that industry. So because building that culture for them, for your employees. Absolutely. One, you have to reward people for the way they're making people feel. Period. End of story. Right? Yeah, you can look at how many calls did you take or, you know, how quickly you resolved. That, that's kind of fun. The numbers, I get it. But I'll come back to it. The most important thing at the end of the day is how did that call progress and how did you change the way the person felt? And hopefully it's they're on a heightened state from the from yeah. when they called oh, no. you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Hopefully you've changed yeah. them in that way. You've, you've, if you've turned confusion into clarity, if you've turned, you know, frustration into some sort of excitement and hope, and happiness, you have done well, right? If you Absolutely. didn't do that, it doesn't really matter how many right. calls you took, right? If, and my, the worry is always, I didn't go the extra minute because I have too many calls to take. You go, oh, I'm, you know, instead of going, how's everything going with you and having a human moment, or, you know, people will rush off the call. Do you have any questions or no? Okay, good, bye, right? Bye. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head with that human moment, right? It's because at the end of the day, both the agent and the person on the other line is, is a human, right? Absolutely. Like, and there's and emotions and there's, we right. want that connection. And it's very, very hard to keep that in mind after eight hours and 150 calls. Of course. Right? It's very hard to. And so that's one of the reasons why I like making sure that my agents are having the smallest of if human relationships as best as they can. How's every, you know, when you're on hold and you're, you know, how's everything going, right? Or what's the weather like there? Or right. Just, mm -hmm. just, to, just to remind everybody that we're both human beings. I'm not a machine. You're not a machine. <laughs> we're human beings try, trying to relate to each other, right? Right. And that's what relationship is. I can relate to you. We have right. something in common. And that's why I like the, it's, I can't stress the importance of that enough. Just to remind everybody, we're all human beings here. We're all humans, so let's interact as if we are. Correct, right. You no, know, Tom, one of the things that I love that you said you were talking about leadership, I know, you know, let's say you go into your favorite chain fast food restaurant, or let's say your favorite chain coffee shop. Yes. And that company, ABC Coffee or whoever they are, might have a great philosophy on customer service and customer experience that they try to distill to or, or try to communicate to their employees right. to embody every day as they're working in that coffee shop. However, I've noticed that if I go to a chain, this particular location I love to go to because their staff, their management is so on point, they're efficient, they're kind, they're courteous, the place is clean and it's great. But I can go to 
to the same uh, coffee shop two miles in a different location, and I have a completely different experience. Uh, it's bad. It's dirty. Everybody's in a bad mood. Uh, right. The employees are surly. And to me, it's always come down to what's the leadership like in that store? I think the leadership in that store makes all the difference in the world. And I wonder if you could kind of uh, speak to your own experiences in what, uh, how big of a difference leadership makes. Uh, my grandma used to, used to say, fish stink from the head. That's and right. I think that stink can travel down if you're not careful. So what are right. some, when we're talking about emotional intelligence, right. um, what are some things we can implement as leaders uh, that could influence our employees for the better? Before I came here, I was a consultant and I would fly out every Monday and fly home every Friday and I was uh, consulting in customer service. So I'd go to these companies and to your point, they'd call and say, oh, we have a problem with sales or we have a problem with service or we have a problem with manufacturing or we have a problem with marketing. Invariably, when I went, I would go in and part of consulting is just kind of observing and talking to people or whatever. And at the end of the week, most times I would say, you know, you don't have a service problem. You have a cultural problem. The problem is not the folks here and their training. The problem is it's incredibly difficult to be caring when you are not cared for. It's incredibly difficult to listen and be empathetic when you are not listened to or receiving empathy, right? It's incredibly difficult, nearly impossible, to be happy and motivated and enthusiastic when your leader is not exhibiting those things. And it's very difficult if you're not encouraged and care for, it's almost impossible to be encouraging and care for others. That's correct. Right? When I'm angry, I don't have time to help you. I'm very self-absorbed self in my own anger, right? <laughs> right. It's not, it's not the time to go, let me help you with your problems. I'm so frustrated. No, that's not how people do it. Right. And so th that is always my take for new leaders. Uh, much like with customer service, the great leaders are the people that make people feel better. The, the best boss you ever had, I guarantee you, when you say that was my favorite job, it has nothing to do with the work. It has everything to do with how those folks made you feel. The best teacher you ever had in school, remember everyone had a favorite teacher? Okay, okay. Does it have anything to do with the content of the class? No. Rarely. It has everything to do with how the teacher, who's the leader in the classroom, how the teacher made you feel. The leader that you remember, the your favorite boss, made you feel proud, hopeful, happy, validated, safe, energized, committed, clear. The worst boss you ever had made you feel afraid, frustrated, angry, confused. Nobody wants to feel like that. Right. That's why people leave companies. Right. right. People don't leave jobs. They leave managers. I'll yep. take a step further. People leave managers that make them feel bad. And you might not even do it intentionally. You know, this goes back to, yeah, that goes back to what you said about uh, nonverbals too. And the, and the truth of human interaction is that when your nonverbals conflict with your verbals, Right. What do people intrinsically believe more? They believe your nonverbals. Absolutely correct. And not a lot of people have a handle on that. <laughs> well, and also it's interesting in the customer service, especially over the phone and in typing, right? Especially in chat and, and uh, texting. Most people get 87% or so of their information from nonverbal. It's all nonverbal. You don't have that in a customer service role. So you have to go out of your way 
with the words you choose to use, right? We can tell people to smile and be pleasant and look relaxed and calm or whatever, but you, the person is not picking up visual clues. So all you have in customer service, are the words you choose to use, and they can be dramatically misinterpreted like text, right? If I'm in a good mood and I text my wife and I go, Hey, I'm going out with the boys tonight. And she says, fine. I go, okay, that's fine. If I'm frustrated, angry, nervous, whatever, the relationship's not going well, I go, Hey, I'm going out with the boys tonight. And she goes, fine. Now, is that fine? Or is that fine? Fine. Right. right? <laughs> Am I in trouble? Fine. Right. Or <laughs> Exactly. What right. kind of fine are we dealing with? Right. This is why written communication is the worst. Absolutely. Because again, talk about no, no, at least with your voice, you have tone and inflection and, you know, it's not as brief texting and chatting and emailing is way, way off the chart as far as being uh, misinterpreted or the ability to be misinterpreted. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I, mean, I think that's one of the reasons why, I mean, love them or hate them, use them or not, but like emojis in a text or emoticons in a text actually do help out quite a bit to um, soften, messages. Yeah, soften those messages and let right. the person know you, this is, I'm meaning this in a good humored way or in a positive way. Right. So there's almost kind of an art form to being able to use those as well. Um, because without context, some of those uh, written messages or text or typed messages can be really, really misleading and upsetting. I agree. Um, yeah. I, I would either use emojis or what I try to help people with is explaining why you're asking a question. Like, are you going to be here at six? Let's say my boss tells you, know, are you going to be here at six o'clock? What the heck does that mean? Right. I, right. If, if that was the case, if depending on my relationship with my boss and if I was feeling safe or not, or if I'm having a good day or not, are you going to be here at six could be interpreted in a very bad way. But, and I go the rest of the day going, Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. As, <laughs> Why would I do? Right, right, right. Right. As opposed to, Hey man, I I'm having a call later with somebody and I really would enjoy your insight. Are you going to be here at six? Right. right. It takes a little longer, but what you're doing is you are preventing or uh, supplanting a little bit the the risk of blowing someone away right and making them feel bad because i didn't feel like typing an extra 10 words right you know what i mean and that can and that, strike fear into the hearts of employees too. oh my <laughs> god not careful friday friday night five o'clock meet yeah can you meet me in uh, human resources what yeah right. wait what why right. should right. i bring a cardboard box hour? right or is it happy hour <laughs> right exactly when it's really right we're having a happy hour oh you forgot to mention that right in college i worked at our um uh, our university also had a uh, television production studio that we would use for educational purposes. And we also had a long distance um, education network that we would film episodes from the studio. And my boss uh, sat directly behind me. Like the, if I were to back my chair away from my desk, I would touch the back of her chair. And one of the things that she would do that would drive me crazy is she would send me an email. We'd both be sitting at our desks. And she would send me an email and she would say, Hey, Nathan, uh, see me period. Oh, Oh, see, just yeah. see me. No. So I would go like, no. what? So I would literally just no. turn my chair around slowly no. and go, yes, <laughs> what's up. And I, and, but every time I saw that, I thought, Oh no, what have I done? 
And most of the time it was just like, hey, um, you know, where are you in this project and this project, this project, we'd have a conversation. But like Tom, like you're saying, if she would have said, hey, I want to connect on where we are on these projects, um, let's have a conversation right now. Or she, she could have just turned around and said that. I don't know why she felt like she had to type it. No. Well, I kind of want to go into this what you're talking about with like this employee experience, right? And how that translate into, for you guys at Full Sail, that student experience. How does the creating that right environment for your faculty, your staff, and everybody else, it doesn't even have to be the faculty, it could be, you know, the janitor. How does that employee experience really translate into that experience the students are having? That's a great question. I just, I, I would say it starts with our president, Gary Jones, it's certainly the most emotionally intelligent person I've ever met. You know, when you're in the room with Gary and you're talking to Gary Jones, you are the only person in his consciousness right now. He's not looking at his phone. I don't even know if he owns a phone, to be honest. He, he may. I've never seen it. He's completely invested in listening to you. He knows who you are. And he's just a, it just flows from the top, really, as, as you said, right? Right. The, the fish stinks from the head as grandma would say. Yes, grandma um, would say it. <laughs> right. Yeah, we, tr we are trying very hard to make sure that people are not afraid. And the reason why is coming to college is a big decision, right? You remember when you're 18 years old, especially if you're an artist, right? You're, you're into making music or you're into art or you're into video game design or storytelling or writing scripts or film, in the traditional schools here in this country, that is considered secondary, right? There is no money for that. We're going we're gonna to throw the money at math and English and science, and we're also going to invest in, and I'm probably not the captain of the football team either, by the way. There is money for football uniforms, right? There's no money for the music program a lot of times. The, the art teacher is buying their own supplies, right? And so automatically- That happens in our primary schools now too, right? Because that whole oh. focus on going yeah. away from the arts. Absolutely correct. And so what I love becomes unimportant, which turns into I am not important, right? And so what ends up happening is, are all students going to college, there's a lot of fear, right? In the arts in particular, but just th that trip to college can be very, very frightening. And so a, a lot of our work is going, explaining in a way which makes people feel encouraged and less Nurturing the talent. Um, I'm wondering if you can, I, I'm fascinated by this emotional intelligence class that you take, or, or that you give, that you teach. Um, what are some of the most prevalent or consistent gaps that you see in your students as you're teaching this uh, in emotional intelligence? What do people tend to struggle with or not get as far as emotional intelligence is concerned? People are more stressed now than ever. I, I have found, and again, I teach the class mostly with staff. I have done it with students. I don't want to give the impression I'm teaching a student class. Sure. But when I'm mentoring students or when I'm teaching my, cl my class to my staff, I find that people are more stressed out than ever. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, it, people need to realize it is absolutely wonderfully healthy and normal to be sad. It's absolutely wonderfully normal to be anxious. In fact, if you didn't have anxiety and fear, you would be dead inside of a day. 
because you would cross the street with your eyes closed, right? You would just say, oh, do you right? I'll just, it's incredibly healthy to have emotions of sorrow and guilt and worry and frustration. It's incredibly healthy to have those. I think people have forgotten that because of social media, right? Because we look at other people's Instagram posts or or for me, it would be my MySpace post that we have talked about. <laughs> With your one friend, Tom. Right, right. right. I, my, Tom is still my friend. Yeah. Tom is still your friend, right. Tom. I'm, right. People are like, I'm on the gram. I'm like, I'm on the space. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Follow me on the space. I'm on the, 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 the Insta Bumble. The, <laughs> uh, my mother-in-law calls it the face. And we're like, what is face. that? The, the face. face. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm on the Insta Tinder right now. I'm kidding you, by the way. That's a joke, honey. I'll make sure to include that. Right. But when uh, the next text you get right. from your wife is just fine. Fine, fine. fine. It's just K. Yeah. It's not even no. okay. It's just K. Okay. Right. Yeah. The shorter the text, the, the worse the The anger. worse it is. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, so anyway, when you're looking at other people's lives, we're not interacting in a human way, even in our own personal. You talk about customer service, and this isn't the human being, and relating over the phone, and listening to tone, and all that. We have a tendency now to interact electronically, and we, we are, people, as you know, are putting on Instagram, look at how much fun I'm having, look at how wonderful my life is, look at how many friends I have, look at how much money I have, look at my vacation I'm on, and you know, you we all naturally look at that and go, my life isn't like that. There must be something wrong with me. FOMO. Uh, FOMO. <laughs> right. I have a fear of missing out, but also I'm sad. You know, these people aren't sad. I'm sad. There must be something wrong with me. Or this person looks like they've got it together. I don't have it together like that. There must be something wrong with me. So not only are we experiencing normal sadness and fear and stress, we're, we also feel like we're even more alone, Right because we don't talk about these things, right? Right. It's very rare, especially with men to, you know, a guy is not going to go to another guy and go, I'm very sad today. You know, it just, <laughs> there's something about that. That is, there's a machismo that prevents us from doing that. You know what I mean? Well, Nate told us he sleeps at night with the hog and crying with hog and really in touch with yourself aware. And that's actually what I put. <laughs> I post those pictures on my Instagram to let everybody right. else know how sad and lonely I am so that right. I'm actually helping other people people feel better, not worse. That's what I do in my well, life. And speaking of being online a lot, I want to kind of take it back to Full Sail again with you offer both in-class and online, in-person right. and online. So how do you build that experience for your online, your your yep. remote, quote-unquote, remote students so that's that a, they are experiencing that in the that's a That's a very good question. So several years ago when the online uh, educational model really started catching on, because people financially couldn't move here or just had to work or whatever, you know, online became very popular. And what we did very quickly is notice we have to have a sense of community. We don't want to have a situation where people are opening their computer, studying by themselves, closing the computer. So we've gone out of our way to create uh, working groups, student groups, social media groups, things where people are chatting, we have discussion posts. We have things like that to keep people engaged. We also do a lot of video chat, a lot of go-to meeting for the class itself. So people are there and can raise their hand and see other classes. One of our graduates was very instrumental in the early uh, VR headset uh, implementation 
and Xbox One also. And he started a company called Rumi, R-U-M-I, which is a, and we're using it a lot now, it's a virtual reality conferencing set. And so what that does is everyone that's on the conference is wearing the VR goggles and you have your avatar and the avatar can move around in 3D space and everyone can see where everyone is moving in 3D space and you can share things in 3D and it makes the experience as close to being there as we can right now uh, with what we have technology wise. But we're doing a lot of cutting edge stuff like that just to make sure that people are feeling less alone. And then what's funny is our, our uh, pack boards are, you know, industry professionals that, that kind of help guide us as to what curriculum is up and coming and what we need to add or, you know, what they're looking for in employers will tell us, you know, GPA, great, that's fine. Skill set, fine. Can you collaborate with other people? Can you relate with and work with other people? And that is incredibly important in any industry, but certainly in film and music and gaming, because no one's doing those things by themselves. You have to work in a work group and you have to be able to do that. And so that's one of the reasons why we, we're really um, promoting getting our students to work together with different disciplines to create a product, because that's really what the job is going to be, no matter what you do these days. There aren't many jobs that you go out and say, yeah, I can do, um, I just do this alone. Right. right. You know what I mean? Unless you're a painter and you have your own studio and your own canvas and you're throwing paint at that all day. Correct. But that right. might be very Pilot lonely style. as well. Right. right. Exactly. Right. Tom, I, I have loved, loved, loved this conversation. We're going to bring it home with one final question that we'd like to ask our guests, because just like you said, a lot of learning comes from the conversations that we have with each other. Uh, and we would like to put you on the spot and say, are there any books, is there a book or like three books, 17 books uh, that you could recommend uh, to people, to friends, to business associates in the industry that have helped with anything like leadership, emotional intelligence, business, anything like that, books that you tend to recommend or give away as gifts? Well, anything by Daniel Goleman, who is really considered the father of emotional intelligence, anything by him would be, would be good. The emotional intelligent leader, wonderful. Anything that you can get, there's a, there's a video online by a guy named Guantan Jane. He is a consultant and speaker, just a wonderful speaker about the mind. And then, um, I'm trying to think. Probably um, Simon Sinek, if you're familiar with him, he does a yep. lot of great stuff. Why Leaders Eat Last. Is it's a, on my bookshelf right now. Yeah, that's a great book. It's uh, he, He's particularly enthralling to me and starting with why and right. yeah. Everything that that guy does is is terrific. So, yeah. well, you're talking about uh, great leaders make people feel better. Uh, Tom, I definitely put you in that category because uh, I think Mari and I are both uh, feeling much better after this conversation with you. It's been you're very really, kind. really enlightening. Uh, so, thank you so much, sir. Uh, look forward to talking with you in the future. And uh, thanks for taking a moment with us. No, thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs>